Luke chapter 7. If you're visiting with us, we go verse by verse to the Bible. We are in the book of Luke on Sundays. And we're in the book of Ezekiel on Wednesday. I messed up on Wednesday and said, hey, when I finish chapter 12 this Wednesday, which I will not finish chapter 12 this Wednesday, because Lee and Zach will be telling you about the Philippines, and then we're going to go eat ice cream at Brewster's. Again, that's worth the price of admission, as Scott said. So we'll be doing that on Wednesday instead. And by the way, in the month of August, I'm going to take a break from the book of Ezekiel and do a study called Reflections from the book of Hebrews. Not a verse-by-verse study. We're going to do discipleship and character studies. Uh, that's all families. We have kids up here in the month of August on Wednesday night. Uh, reflections from the book of Hebrews. And then I've got a couple of discipleship series for Wednesday nights for the fall as well. So we'll be in some Ezekiel, back into some discipleship series, some Ezekiel, back into discipleship series. So we can break. Ezekiel's a big, big book, and it's very repetitive, which is a good thing, but also uh, a challenging thing. So we'll be doing those things uh, in the fall and starting in August with the reflections from Hebrews. But if your Bibles are open, uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and Usher will get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. Uh, Luke chapter 7. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. I'll be reading from verse 36. It's a beautiful passage. Everyone here should be encouraged by this text. So let's read together, starting in verse 36. Now, I could do it Sam's way. He makes you stand up and read with him. Uh, but I'm not going to do that. So anyway, maybe when I get to be Sam's age, I'll definitely do that. <laughs> starting in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... And she knew that Jesus had sat at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. He doesn't realize that Jesus reads minds. But he spoke to himself. This man, if he were a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, uh, Simon's like, I didn't actually have a question, but Jesus answers and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When he had gone, and when they had nothing which to pay, uh, repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to, uh, said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many. Jesus didn't say that she wasn't a sinner, quite the opposite. He said, this woman whose sins are many are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. 
Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, we ask that you would speak mightily through your spirit. Those of us that have been saved are refreshed. Those of us that don't know you as Lord and Savior will surrender as this woman so wisely did. And Lord, if there's a spirit of self-righteousness and pride like the Pharisee here, that you would also speak to those hearts as well. For you are not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys ever heard of Groucho Marx? His real name was Julius Henry Marx. Uh, born in 1890, died in 1977. Some of you probably remember uh, watching maybe uh, black and whites of Groucho Marx. Uh, Groucho Marx said something I find interesting. He said, from the moment I picked your book up until I laid it down, I was convulsed with laughter. Someday I intend on reading it. A lot of people are that way with Jesus and the Word of God. Oh, they could tell you, yeah, I own the book. I think it's a great book. I think Jesus was a great man. He's a really good teacher. Are you enraptured by him? Well, not so much. I don't think that much of him because I don't pray to him. I don't read his word. I don't follow him. I don't obey him. I don't tell anybody about him. But other than that, I love him. Right? A book that you think is a great book, but someday I'll get around to reading it. A Savior that you believe is a great Savior, but really you've never really followed. You've never really heeded his voice. You've never really listened to him. But then there's the person that's read the book dozens of times. You know, some of you that are voracious readers, you know, not like me. It takes me forever to get through a book. You know how many bookmarks I have in all the books I'm reading? You know, and then, but I slowly will finish them. But some of you will like plow through a book like in two days and reread it 12 times. I don't know how you do it. I am that way with the Word of God, thankfully. It's the one book that I read a lot. And it has the most life-changing power on us. If you're taking notes... What we're going to look at today in our study, uh, I've titled our time in the God's Word today, The Fruit of Forgiveness. The Fruit of Forgiveness. See, where there's real repentance, well, Jesus offers genuine forgiveness, always, to everybody. But where there's real repentance that's received from real forgiveness, there is genuine fruit. Genuine fruit. I don't think any of you plant a fruit tree. We used to live in South Florida. Some of you are from Southern California, I know, where you can also grow lemon trees and you can grow avocados. And some South Florida, you can grow a lot of different things. But you know, when people plant a fruit tree, they actually hope to get fruit. That's the whole reason they're planting it. Not only because you can eat the fruit, but it's beautiful to look upon, all those things. And you know, we were over in Israel. I remember right outside Jerusalem, there was this lemon tree that was just full of lemons. I mean, bright yellow, gorgeous. And so... 
the Lord's desire is that on our tree there would be fruit, but there can't be genuine fruit until there's genuine repentance, and there can't be genuine repentance until you believe the message of the messenger, in this case, the Lord Jesus himself. We'll look at three things from the text this morning, an invitation, an illustration, and an impartation, to impart something, an invitation, an illustration, and an impartation. Let's look first at the invitation that takes place here. It starts in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Jesus is asked by a Pharisee, a religious leader. That, you know, the, in the ancient times there in Israel, uh, the Pharisees, they were well-educated. Uh, they were highly religious. They were very committed uh, at least on the outward exterior to the keeping of the law. They were the ones that taught the law. They were the ones that interpreted the law. They were the ones that explained to people, you're breaking the law. They were very, very committed to what we would know today as Judaism. Uh, the most similar to them would be the Orthodox Jews. Uh, by the way, Sam was here last week. You know, Sam grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home there in New York. An Orthodox Jewish home. Uh, if you've seen the Orthodox, they wear the black, black hat. A funny story of a, uh, of a dad, a true story of a pastor um, that uh, he, had, he had grown up in the Amish area of Pennsylvania. The pastor's son had grown up there in the Amish part of Pennsylvania, and they, and they went to uh, some place where there was a large Jewish population. I can't remember, it might have been New York, but the, uh, the child asked the dad, Dad, why are there so many Amish people here? And because, uh, you know, he saw the black hats and the black, and the, they're very similar dress, just heavy black. And, and so the exterior, uh, with certain religious groups, you can tell from a distance, they are dedicated to that sect. Well, this would have been the Pharisees. Everyone knew who they were. Uh, again, they were the upper crust of society as well. They did well. This man had a nice home to invite Jesus to. Now, Jesus said he didn't even have a place to what? Lay his head. Although he left heaven on earth, he did not choose to live that way. He didn't have anything, any possessions. But this man had a nice home. He was well-respected in the community, considered a religious uh, leader. And his name we hear here is Simon, because Jesus asked him the question. Uh, this is not Simon Peter. This is a completely different Simon. This is a Pharisee this religious leader. So he invites Jesus to his house. Now his precise motives in inviting Jesus aren't really given. We don't get what's behind the motivation. We're not told. We can infer some things, but we don't know for certain what his motives are. Many times with people, you don't know what their motives are, right? Unless you're God. He knows everyone's motives. He knows why you offered a free such-and-so to somebody. He knows why you said what you said. He knows why you flattered that person. But Jesus is invited, and he takes the invitation, which is a good thing for us to look at, too, because Jesus looks and takes opportunities to minister to people, even if the people don't necessarily like him or their motives are wrong. And again, we don't know what his motives are. Perhaps he's genuinely interested. 
Maybe when he makes the invitation, he's genuinely interested in hearing from Jesus. Many people are genuinely interested. People that you have invited to church that have come here, I have seen some of the people that you've invited. I've talked to them afterwards, and I can tell that they were genuinely interested to come. I could tell that they were genuinely interested in what they heard, but I also can tell that like rich young ruler, they couldn't accept it just now because they have too much things they still want to do. We don't know his motivation Perhaps it was very genuine. Maybe he has serious doubts. Maybe he has very serious doubts and wants to do his own examination of Jesus. I mean, how many of us get the chance to examine Jesus one-on-one? Be careful when you examine Jesus one-on-one, he's examining you. Right? But he maybe wants to examine the claims of Jesus and he has a chance to do that. He's a leader. He has a nice house. He has the standing. He can command the audience and so he has that opportunity. Maybe he finds Jesus intriguing. I mean, he's heard that Jesus has raised people from the dead. He's healed people. He's heard that he's done these great things, and he's intrigued. Or, perhaps like the other religious leaders, many of them that encounter Jesus, he's looking for a chance to trap Jesus in his words. All are possible, and it could actually be all at the same time. You could have all those motivations simultaneously. In our own lives, there will be people that will want to share a meal with us, won't there? Yeah, even some of you. There will be people that want to share a meal with you. There will be people who want to have coffee with us. Maybe spend some time together, even if it's just a few minutes. Maybe it's at work over lunch. I had many, when I was in the business world, before I uh, became a full-time pastor, I had many lunches with people. Many, many lunches with people. Some of them were business. Some were, hey, let's go grab lunch and, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe it's over the fence in the neighborhood. You don't know the neighbor that well, but you've had a couple of those over-the-fence discussions. Ever so short, usually small talk. How are you doing? How are you doing? Uh, What do I think of next? Maybe it's a brief phone call. At a little league game, someone that you've gotten to know a little bit there, your kids are playing sports together or something like that. And, uh, or maybe for the ladies, and hopefully just for the ladies, a pampered chef party or something like that. <laughs> Guys, if you ever went to one, I'll, I won't make too much fun of you for that. But, uh. but most of these interactions, most of these interactions that we have with people aren't a specific request or an invite like the one Jesus received. They're not one that someone's put, most of them, some of them are, but most of them are not ones that people have put a lot of thought into. I believe this man had thought long and hard, I want to have him over for whatever his reasons were, but we still have these interactions with people, and they're typically not uh, planned or specified in the same way. Sometimes they are. Sometimes people really do say, hey, I just you know, I want to invite you over for dinner. I want to have your family over or something like that. I'm talking about someone that's not a churchgoer. They're not uh, maybe even in the Lord. Uh, and by the way, we should be the ones inviting people. Amen? We should be the ones inviting people. We should be inviting our neighbors. We should be doing uh, nice, kind things to reach out to them. But at any rate, we've been given by God these opportunities, however brief they are, interactions with people, uh, with a person, and, and what I'm speaking specifically of are people that have yet to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If they know we're believers, think about this, 
if they know you're a believer, whether they be your neighbor, whether they be your coworker, whether they be a family member, if they know you're a believer, keep in mind, see, Simon was watching Jesus' every move. Keep in mind, if people know you're a believer, they're watching your actions, even if they don't tell you. I didn't know they were watching that. Oh, yeah. They're watching your actions. They're watching our demeanor. Why we're supposed to have a joyful countenance. And that shouldn't be fake. It should be coming from the Holy Spirit, from the Lord in our life. Uh, They're watching our words. I found that over the years. They're watching our words. Uh, Jesus was being very closely watched by Simon. How he interacted with this woman, all the things that Jesus was doing, he's being watched closely, and so will we. Now, we'll not be watched for the exact same reasons. They won't measure our words for the exact same reasons. They won't uh, monitor what we're doing or saying for the exact same reasons. Why? Well, they know we're not Jesus. That's why they say things like, there's too many hypocrites in the church. They know you're not Jesus. They wouldn't say everyone's a hypocrite. They know you're not the Lord Jesus. They know you've never walked on water, but they still know you claim his name. The word Christian means little Christ, follower of the Lord is where it came from uh, in the early church. So whatever the reason, they're still watching our words, our actions, our demeanor, our attitude, our love, and they're making an assessment Sometimes, not well, they're always making an assessment of us, but they're really making an assessment of what we believe in. You say that faith of yours is this, that, and the other. Well, I've seen this, and I've seen this, and I've heard this, so-and-so say this. They'll bring other past assessments into the mix as well. But the reason I mention this is Jesus, he lived a public life. So do we. He had a public testimony. So do we. He publicly proclaimed truth. So do we. He was perfect. We're not. But we still have a living epistle called our life. Amen? Our life is a living epistle. We're not going to be added to the Bible. That's already been written. But our life will still either point people to the Scriptures or it will cause them to run the other direction. Our lives are living epistles. It's why it's so important to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's being ready for those personal encounters. I don't know who I'm going to run into in the next week. I look at the last week, and I can think back where Monday started. I feel like it was four weeks, but it was only one week. The number of people I ran into, the number of interactions I had, the opportunities I had to present the Lord in some way, shape, or form, some that I succeeded, some that I blew it. But we don't know when those opportunities are, we must be ready. But this man, this man Simon, while he was sharing this meal with Jesus, so he, Jesus comes over, again, not knowing all his motives or anything else, they are having the meal. Things are going according to plan. And perhaps he's just beginning to probe with some small talk, maybe some well-planned questions, before he is interrupted and annoyed with what takes place. He's interrupted and he's annoyed with what takes place. Because a woman of the city who's a sinner, 
a sinner, a woman who's a sinner. Now, let's be clear here. Luke, who writes the book of Luke and calls it the book of Acts, Luke knows that everyone's a sinner. You don't have to, like, educate Luke. Hey, Luke, uh, you called her a sinner. We're all sinners. He knows that. Luke was a very detail-oriented guy, as we know, a doctor, very, very specific. When he's saying that this woman was known as a sinner, the context here is that she was publicly known for a very sinful lifestyle against the law. and Everyone knew she had a not good reputation. I don't even know if that's proper English, but anyway. Sometimes non-proper English works better than proper English. I could speak old English, but you'd really lose it if I don't read from the King James, even though it is a good version. But she had either recently been completely transformed by Jesus or she's being transformed at that very moment. We don't know which. Both are possible. She could have already been transformed days earlier, a couple weeks earlier, uh, or right there, it's interesting to note that Jesus says your sins are forgiven at that moment. Some people believe she was already saved. Regardless, her act of repentance was either not too long before or taking place in the very presence of the Lord. But she is being transformed or has just recently been transformed. She was most likely a prostitute. That's the context when you understand both the Old and New Testament, the context here is most likely what Luke is saying. Without, you know, it's kind of actually a gracious thing, without calling her past out too much, but understanding that she was coming out of a reputation that the whole community knew this woman lived in a moral lifestyle or a very openly sinful lifestyle. We don't know what it was. But Luke's saying there was a time and for a long time, she was known among the city. Um, it, it's interesting uh, that she walks right into this Pharisee's house. Try that sometime. Just walk into somebody's house. I'm going to come in and I'm going to join this luncheon. Now, the, uh, the ancient buildings there in, in Jerusalem, uh, they, a lot of them had courtyards. And there's like a breezeway where you come in. There was a courtyard area and where the meal might take place. There'd be an open door so she could have seen all the way perhaps through the courtyard into where it was taking place. Uh, no doubt she came in humbly because we see her we see her posture as a very humble posture. Uh, what would be interesting, remember the time where Jesus found a woman in adultery and he started writing on the ground and everybody seemed to take off? Food for thought, there may be some men in there that were less than ready to kick her immediately out. Case she started talking. You know what I mean? I don't know. We, I'm not telling you. I have no idea, but I'm just saying it's kind of interesting that she breezes straight into that house of religious leaders where she should have been booted out immediately and she was not. And Jesus and Simon were not the only ones at that meeting. There was probably a large group of other religious leaders and everybody held their peace but they weren't happy she was in there. Now, given the change that Christ had brought about or was bringing about in her life here, she begins to stand behind Jesus. Now, the way that they would eat, you had the table was much lower to the ground. They would sit 
when they were eating. And a lot of times when they sit, the feet, you ever sat uh, and your feet kind of stick a little bit out in the back? Uh, they would sit around the table, and depending on how you were positioned, some would sit kind of what we would consider like Indian style. Some would sit with their feet back, but it was at a low place on these cushions, and they were sitting more on the floor with a low table. There would be a much lower table passing food around. And your feet oftentimes, you would shift, and your feet could be behind, kind of sitting partly on your thighs, your knees, with the feet out. And Jesus may be talking with his feet back, she stands behind him, which is a show of humility to stand behind him, right? She stands behind him. I'm not worthy to look at you face to face, so I'll stand behind. Remember Moses, God said, uh, Moses said, I want to see your face, and God says, I'll show you the rear parts of my robe, right? You're not able to, you, you die if you see my glory, in your human condition. So I'll show you a little bit of the back part of the robe. She stands behind Jesus. And she's not just standing behind him, which is a show of humility. It's also a show of unworthiness. I'm not worthy to stand in front of you. She begins weeping. Now, weeping is not a couple of tears, croc crocodile tears. She is just flowing, weeping over her sins and over the forgiveness that she's seeking. Tears are streaming down her face. And her hair, which no doubt, women, uh, not only women that would be in her per, uh, possible profession, but also women even of wealth at time would sometimes pull the hair up and they would have these pins in it, very ornate and things. But her hair was down, completely let down. There's nothing, there's nothing in it. There's none of the worldly constructs in it. It's completely let down. You even have the same phrase today, let your hair down. In other words, let it show who you really, really are. Not when you're all maked up and everything else. And, you know, even when, when my wife got married, you know, the hair was up. I don't know why that is. I don't know why that has anything to do with anything. But anyway. <laughs> now, mind you, she, as she's there and she's weeping and her hair is down, she begins, the tears begin to drench his feet. Jesus never stops her. He never turns her. He doesn't even seem to acknowledge, what are you doing? And if someone started doing that to my feet. <laughs> but Jesus knows she's going to walk in the door before she walks in the door. He could have counted it off. Five, four, three, two, one, boom. She'll start crying She'll start weeping. She'll start trying. But, but that's not his point. He's still looking at Simon's face. Right? He's still looking at the man that invited him. While she's behind him, he's looking at the man who doesn't think he needs to be at Jesus' rear. Simon thinks, I deserve to be front and center asking you some questions, bud. I'm the religious sheriff here in town. This woman is behind him weeping, washing his knee. Now, keep in mind, Jesus' feet are not clean. How do we know that? Because Jesus said, you didn't offer me a water bowl at the end. You didn't clean my feet when I came in, which was the custom to be offered the bowl. You gave me none of the normal customs. You, who the class of society, who should be offering each of the normative things, didn't offer any of them to me. 
meaning that he can, that didn't have quite the respect for Jesus that he would profess. She then begins not just washing dirt, Jesus' dirty feet with her hair and her tears, she begins kissing them and she breaks an alabaster flask. Now, an alabaster flask was an expensive, it was, it's also called onyx marble. Sometimes they were boxes, sometimes they were flasks, they were hand-carved, and she has a perfume, a fragrant oil in there, which probably was fairly ex expensive as well. And she breaks it open and begins to pour that on his feet. So it's the fragrant oil, her tears, and her hair all doing this work on his feet, both moisturizing the feet as well as cleaning the feet and making them smell good all at the same time. Let's look at the illustration that Jesus now gives. Now, this is the scene. How in the, now, how is Simon reacting to all this? Boy, I feel sorry for this woman. I wonder what's going on in her life. I wonder why she's so broken here, why she's weeping. Whether they were, I believe there's tears of joy and pain at the same time. You ever, you ever had tears of joy and pain at the same time? When I walked forward and got saved at Calvary Fort Lauderdale in 1995, I wept at the altar because A, I was so sorry for my sins, and B, I was so glad Jesus was willing to forgive me. And so the tears were both bitter and sweet at the exact same time. I believe this woman's in that place. But Simon, he's not moved or touched by it. All he can think of is, if he knew who this woman was, I'd know he's a prophet. But he doesn't even know what kind of woman she is. Meanwhile, Jesus knows his thoughts and her thoughts and everyone else in the room's thoughts. And Jesus says, uh, if you're taking notes under the illustration, he begins to tell a story. He says, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, say it. Rabbi, I'm not really all that impressed with you as a rabbi, but go ahead. Entertain me with whatever it is you have to say. So Jesus tells him this, a certain creditor had 200 debtors. Uh, um, oh, I'm sorry, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors, and one, owned, uh, one owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50 denarii. So you have, uh, some of you have a credit card. If you're an American, you have more than one, but anyway. Uh, some of you have a credit card, and uh, you know, maybe it's a Cap One card or a Citibank card. I hope you're, uh, I hope you're uh, balance on it is low, and I hope you're able to pay it off on a monthly basis. But if statistics are right in this room, quite a few, that's not going to be the case. Uh, matter of fact, many people will go to the grave with their credit card debt. We have people that have $50,000, $100,000 on their credit card, and uh, we have some that have, I think the average balance in the U.S. is somewhere like, I want to say, ten to 15000 or something like that, but, uh, and they almost never get paid off. But this specific creditor. He had loaned money, and one owed 500 denarii, the other owed 50 denarii. Now, a denarius, which is the singular of um, kind of like alumni versus alumnus, the denarius is, was a Roman silver coin, kind of like our quarter or something like that. It was a Roman silver coin, pure silver, or close to it, uh, although later in the Roman Empire, it would become less and less silver content, and they would start to, as the economy started to, sound familiar? As the economy started to devalue the coin, 
they changed the content of the metal and it started to get to less precious metals. Um, but anyway, this uh, Roman coin and silver, uh, and, and uh, it was made of silver. And in the New Testament times, or the times when Jesus was walking the earth, uh, it was valued at a day's wages, a full day's wages, okay? One denarius. Um, Jesus even told us the parable of, the, of those entering the vineyard, and they were paid a denarius for one day's wages. So you worked a full day in uh, kind of a labor type of position. Uh, let's say you're working in a vineyard or you're working in construction or you were doing some sort of type of labor position. A denarius was valued at a full day's worth of work. Now, uh, if you take these two men and you kind of look at uh, what that would be in our times, let's say um, the one owes 500 working days and the other owes 50 working days. Let's take a little math here. You guys like math? Of course you do. Everyone loves math. Every kid's dream is math class. So at today's federal minimum wage, which is $7.25 an hour, today's federal wage, $7.25 an hour, times an eight-hour working day, that gives you $58 a day. Take $58 a day times 500 hundred days and you get $29,000 worth of debt. $29,000 worth of debt. Anyone want that on your credit card? No. Versus 725 times 8 times uh, the 58, we get a much smaller number of, which is basically 10% of it, 2,900. So which one would you rather have? Which one would you feel, I could probably someday get this one paid off? Especially if you're working just day wages. That's really hard to kind of put that aside, to really get behind that and pay that off. But they're both going to be forgiven the much larger number versus the much smaller number. And he asked uh, Simon, so which one do you think is going to be, uh, which one do you think is going to love more? And he says, well, the one that had the bigger debt. And Jesus said, you've rightly judged. You've rightly judged. You're correct. Once you've been forgiven a lot, you're really thankful for it. Right? It's one thing to be uh, forgiven for something minor. When I was, uh, when I was, I was I maybe about 11 or 12, I was riding bikes with some uh, kids in the neighborhood and we were riding down this road. We didn't think anyone was around riding down the road. On both sides of the road, it was in the middle of a hot, hot summer. And there was forest on one side and a big field on the other. And at the end of the field was a baseball diamond where we played baseball and stuff. It was built by the community. And one of them had the bright idea to start flicking matches. When you do this in the middle of summer, I looked back and the forest was raging. I mean, like 15, 20 feet up into the trees. We looked further back, it had leapt across the road, and both sides were on fire. My mom seems to remember this. She's, in the, she's here. <laughs> the place is an inferno on both sides of the highway. We decide we'll keep riding and no one will have seen us. But somebody had seen us and said they think we were flicking matches. Um, it took, I don't remember how many fire trucks. I 
it looked about like 30 fire trucks. I mean, there was fire trucks all up and down the road trying, because there was houses on both sides, and they had to water before it got to the houses. Now, I ended up sitting with the fire chief and the police chief in the back of a police car with these other young guys. We were like 11, 12 years old. And I remember the feeling of relief that we were let go. And I, even in the end, I was young, and it, it was on my mind, what if it would have caught the houses? If I'd have been forgiven of the houses as well, it would have been a whole different... I mean, I already was very thankful. But if we had burnt down several houses, I would have felt far worse. And to be forgiven of it would be even far greater. True? Thankfully, the Lord, it was one of those things in my life that God stopped the whole thing. They were able to catch it. Literally, some houses were 15 feet from the black line where the firemen had actually cut it off or it would have actually consumed, and it could have left from entire, entire neighborhoods. So parents, watch your 11-year-old sons very, very closely. May they not be like me and my friends. Gordon S. Seagrave, he was a missionary to Burma. He said, it's my earnest conviction that everyone should be in jail at least once in his life. And the imprisonment should be on suspicion rather than proof. It should last for four months. It should seem hopeless, and preferably the prisoner should be sick half the time. Only by such punishment does he learn what real freedom is worth. This actually happened to him while he was in Burma. He went into prison. He got malaria and dysentery, nearly died in prison. He was a medical doctor and a missionary, had helped many, and he was falsely accused, thrown in, and he became hopeless, but it was there when he was released that he was most thankful for all that God had given him in the way of freedom and opportunity to be a servant of Jesus Christ. He said, then I really knew what it was like to have my freedom. Only people that are really desperate and in bondage can appreciate the touch of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thomas Paine said, we obtain too cheap, we, we esteem too lightly, Tis dearness only that gives value, uh, gives everything its value. We obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. Tis dearness only that gives everything its value. To those that count Jesus as dear, he's valuable. To those that don't count him as dear, he's no more important than what's on TV. He's no more important than what's in their bank account. He's no more important than the new car they got. He's no more important than next week's vacation. He's no more important than another relationship. He's no more important than a good magazine. He's no more important than anything else, and their life testifies it, and that was Simon. And Jesus is looking in Simon's face and says, two men, two people in this room, in other words, which one do you think is really grateful for what I'm about to offer or what I've been offering in my earthly ministry? Last week, Sam, uh, Sam Nadler made a statement. It's one of those statements that will stick with me for a lifetime. Uh, every now and then, I, I, I now have my collection of quotes that I have received from other men, some of them long before me that you know, were uh, made quotes 1,500 years ago or 500 years ago. But I'll hear one, and certain ones will stay with me, and I'll requote them to myself on a regular basis. He said one last week, it'll stick with me for a lifetime. He said, to the degree 
you're convinced of his lordship, to that degree, you'll be committed to his discipleship. The reason why many are not disciples of Christ is they don't consider Jesus their Lord. They consider Jesus their Savior, but not their Lord. To the degree that he, you're convinced of his lordship, to that degree, you're committed to his discipleship. I find that is a great encouragement to remind myself on a regular basis, oh yes, you're in charge. Yeah. Remember what Jesus said? He no more wanted to go die on the cross at some level in his body than you would. He said, let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, thy will be done. Many Christians, God says, get out of, you know, uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones, I, I, I think she might have been the wife of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, but she said, the house is not for settling, it's for setting out from. In the American culture, in the American church, the I mindset is to settle and make our, my little Christian utopia. And after I get it all settled, I can just sit there and worship with praise music all day long. That's nice. And there's a time for that to be refreshed. But really, Jesus says to go out, to go out, to go out, to go out. What if Jesus would have stayed home and didn't come to the earth? Right? He had a house too. Amen? He had a house not built with hands, but he chose to leave it because he had a job to do. And then he says, now, come, follow me. And this woman, unlike Simon, who had a house, this woman enters Simon's house, but wants to really enter Jesus' house. Amen? She wants a new home, a new home in heaven. To be convinced of his lordship. Go back to Sam's statement one last time. When you think about the degree, you're convinced of his lordship. To be convinced of his lordship, think about this Christian believer. To be convinced of his lordship, one must be convinced of their desperate condition. And you have to be convinced of his mercy. And you have to be convinced of his grace. And you have to be convinced of his worthiness. Of his worthiness. Then and only then will there be a heart of devotion. We're devoted to the things we think are worthy of devotion. People, the reason why people are devoted to a career is they believe if they devote to a career, they will get the recognition they deserve, the money they need for a fantastic retirement, and something to leave for their next generation. And by the way, some people will achieve every single one of those things and go to hell. Because Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the entire world? Not just the top Fortune 500 company, but the whole world. No one's ever gained the whole world. Some men have come closer than others, but no one's even come close. And Jesus said, what if they gained it all and lost it all? This woman says, I'm willing to lay it all down at the back of Jesus' feet, kissing his feet, weeping over him. She might have said, if you knew, Lord, she's not even talking. Notice she's not talking. Simon's not talking either. He's thinking, Jesus reading Simon's thought. She's not talking. She's thinking, if he knew the sins I've committed, he would cast me out. But that's not what Jesus is going to do, is it? Let's, let's close with this impartation. This impartation. What do I mean by that? Well, the word impartation, I didn't make it up. It is a real word. It means to make known. It means to tell or to relate or disclose or, get this, it means to impart a secret. 
It means to give. It means to bestow. It means to communicate. It means to impart knowledge. Who doesn't need knowledge from the Lord Jesus Christ? Who doesn't need him to impart wisdom? Who doesn't need him to communicate the word of God coming from his Father? We all need to hear from God. He's the one that created us. None of us created ourselves. I was born February 1st, 1969. Guess how much I had to do with it? Nothing. Nothing. I would have chosen a little later because I wouldn't be 45 and my body would feel better. I had nothing to do with the day I was born, and I, by the way, I'll have nothing to do with the day that I die. People have even tried to commit suicide and didn't die. True? I'll never forget reading that story about a kid in Atlanta that was shot 20-some times. The doctor said it defied logic. They were shot 27, or I can't remember the number of times, it was over 20, I don't say 25 times, bullet holes from a drive-by shooting, and not one bullet hit an important artery or organ. That's God, folks. If you're alive, God has kept you alive. If you were born, God chose your day. If you're here, God has you here for a reason. All of these things are of the Lord, and it's Him. He, Jesus wants to impart something to Simon, but He also wants to impart something to the woman right behind Him. And isn't that great about God? Right now, there's people in the United States who mock God, who act like He doesn't see their sin, who think he doesn't have a clue what he's doing, who are rewriting laws, doing anything they want against the will of the Lord, and they think, God can't stop me. Oh, yes, he can. He is gracious. He can stop anybody at any time. The fact that all of our hearts kept beating is only the grace of God since I started. But yet God still loves people that hate him. Do you know that? God still died for people. While they were killing him, he said, Father, forgive me. They know not what they do. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus is always there to still speak to Simon and to those that are repenting. Because right now, some haven't repented yet, but I love what my friend, my Jewish pastor friend down in Hampton, Dr. Michael Hurt, says. He calls them pre-believers. They're coming. They just haven't come yet. And we need to have that kind of love and faith. But he imparts truth, Jesus imparts truth to all who are willing to listen. Willing to listen. Jesus said, Jerusalem, you're not willing. But are you willing? Am I willing? And sometimes what Jesus says, the truth actually hurts, doesn't it? Boy, he gave Simon some heavy dose of truth here, didn't he? Simon may have... Um, not thought Jesus would call him out. He was wrong. Jesus said, Simon, you know how the, you know how the, the uh, protocol works. I came in. You gave me nothing for my feet. Thank you very much. You did not give me the normal kiss on both sides of the cheek, which was normative just to give a nice embrace. Yeah, we, when me and my wife were going to college in Miami, we both got saved in South Florida. One of the things that we had never been used to, we grew up uh, in the D.C. Beltway area for me and then here in Richmond, is when we met all these Latin American people, they would kiss us on both sides of the cheek. I'm like, what is this about? Thankfully, in the Latin American culture, it's only the women that do this. <laughs> to a gringo like me, the men didn't do that. I got one of these. But all the women, their wives, any other woman, 
Kiss on both sides of the cheek, that was normative in the South American culture. It still is, Latin America, and it was normative. In Je- but Simon, when Jesus comes in, there should have been a bowl of water, and the servant should have cleaned Jesus' feet. He told the servant, stand down. He doesn't get that treatment. How about the, how about the kiss? Yeah, he's lucky to get a meal with us. He's getting a free lunch out of this. Let's not go overboard with this guy. Let's not show him too much respect. And then lastly, what about the oil for his head? Save that for our other guest. This woman comes in and does all three. And Jesus says, she doesn't do it to my head. She does it to my feet. Because she doesn't think she's worthy enough to point, point, put oil on my head or to face me face to face. She does all from behind. And Simon here's something. You know, Jesus sometimes will speak to us, and we may not want to hear what he says, but it's still true, isn't it? Jesus will say, you're rude. You're obnoxious. You're not full of love at all. You're calling people a hypocrite, then you're, and when you're the hypocrite, Jesus is saying, it's even to us that are believers. I'm not talking to the unsaved people here. I'm saying, he's saying this to you and me. You think you are so spiritual, you are not. Jesus said, he wrote in his letter, he said, I would that you were hot and cold, but you're lukewarm, and I'll vomit you out of my mouth. He spoke that to the church. You realize that, right? He wasn't writing that to the unsaved world. He wrote to the letter to the church and says, you better clean it up, because I'm coming soon. Amen? But Simon wasn't yet a believer in Jesus, and yet Jesus loved him enough to say, you think you're a religious Nice guy. That's why Mark Twain said, in his life, he said, I met a lot of good people, and I now know why Jesus spent his time with sinners and tax collectors. Because good people are not usually really nice people. When you find out the good guy with the gated community isn't real nice, right? And Jesus like, you... You had no humility. You had no real desire to treat me with goodness. But this woman, yeah, I'm a, he doesn't tell her, but, G, but Jesus knows what her background. She might have a lot of sins, but she has a lot of love for me. And she's going to get a lot of forgiveness before I walk out of this house. Isn't that great? What if Jesus entered your house? How would you treat him? If you're saved, he's already entered your house. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And get this last part, Christian, and you are not your own. I don't want to go do that. He said, but you don't own you. Tell, tell that to your boss on Tuesday. I don't want to do it. Just tell him. You, you, we don't mind telling God that. Just tell it to your boss. Tell him, No. I've got better things to do with my time than go do that. You can say it a couple of times. You're going to put on the 30, 60, 90 plan after that, right? But yet God's gentle with us, isn't he? He hears us say no all the time, and he doesn't put us on the 30, 60, 90 plan, but he won't let us stay there either, folks. Amen? He says, come on, it's time to get moving. How are you welcoming him? Are you tipping in with your time, your talent, and your treasure? 
I give him a tip. I give him the U.S. average, 2.43%. That's true, by the way. That's national insurance. I, I give him a little bit of time. I, I do what I can. I do a little bit here and there. Are we acting like we've only told a little white lie when we do that? That's what we're saying. I don't need to do much for you, Lord, because you haven't done all that much for me either. Well, you did forgive me for that one little lie. And the match that I lit when I was a kid, that was a mistake. That was an accident. I didn't mean it to catch the forest on fire, right? But God says, oh, let's, I'll shelve that one. Let me pull out my list. Oh, I forgot that. I forgot that. Oh, I forgot those 1,000. I forgot those 10,000. And then we realized the weight that Paul said that sin has to seem exceedingly sinful, and then the blood of Christ makes sense. This woman realized it. She knew. She could see in her mind all the things she had done. I want to always go back to 1995 at that altar so the bittersweet tears stay there. Amen? When they're gone, our servitude is gone. Our surrender is gone. When they come back, it all comes back. What has he asked us to do that we still haven't done? If we were to weep at his feet, I guarantee we'd start doing his commands. Who agrees with that? If we were to weep at his feet, I guarantee we'd do his commands. Guarantee it. I'll close with uh, this statement by F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer said, Jesus Christ has bought us with his blood, but alas, he's not had his money's worth. He paid for all, and he has asked for but a fragment of our energy, time, and earnings. By an act of consecration... Let us ask him to forgive the robbery of the past. Let us profess our desire to be henceforth utterly and only for him, his slaves, owning no master other than himself. Now that is a little old English because he was in the 1890s. See, the fruit of a truly receptive life, one that has received the forgiveness of Christ and is now walking in that forgiveness is to lay down our lives and surrender and in obedience and in love to him. Nothing else will do and nothing else will satisfy. Amen? That's why Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven. <sighs> she never has to go back to that lifestyle again. The Holy Spirit says, you don't have to live that way anymore. I've transformed you. You don't have to live that way anymore. I have changed you. You do not have to go that route anymore. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he tells her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Isn't that a great, great encouragement? That's what the Lord offers us. And after you've been forgiven much, you don't mind working in the field for Jesus anymore. Amen? You don't mind saying, Lord, what can I do to help? Because guess what? There's other women in the community that need the same forgiveness. There's other men in the community that need the same forgiveness. Even if men in that very room were guilty of things with that woman, they would all be forgiven. Amen? Let's close in prayer as the worship team comes up. Father, we... We just ask that your spirit would speak clearly and 
Lord, that you would speak directly to each and every heart. If there's anyone here, Lord, that's like the woman that you've convicted of sin. Yes, you said her sins were many, but you said her sins were forgiven. If there's anyone here that's like this woman that recognizes I'm in sin, I'm covered in sin, and if I were to die today, I would not meet you face to face, Lord. That they would not have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If there's anyone here, Lord, that knows that they need the washing and cleansing that only you offer. Muhammad doesn't offer it. Buddha doesn't offer it. Confucius doesn't offer it. These men all died in their sins. But Lord, you rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. Maybe there's a Simon here, Lord, that came in believing that they were a pretty good person. Lord, I pray that you would show them that there's none good but God. And you would bring salvation. While eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if you say, you know, I, I really, I really want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want to have Jesus cleanse me and fill me and forgive me. And I want to be like this woman and give up the old sins that will lead to eternal suffering and instead receive the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness of Jesus. Just stand right where you're at. Jesus lived a public life. When I got saved, I walked forward an aisle because guess what? I'm going to have to be publicly professing Jesus the rest of my life. The best way to start is to say yes and just stand right where you're at. We've had a number of people over the years stand right where they're at and ask the Lord to be their Savior. If there's anyone here at all, I don't give an invitation every week, although Jesus gives an invitation every week. Just stand right where you're at and say, I want the Lord Jesus to cleanse and forgive me. I want to be forgiven of sin. I want to be washed and He'll do it. I don't care how many sins you have. He's gracious to forgive every single one of them. That's why I said when I, when I gave my life to Christ, I wept at the altar there in Fort Lauderdale. And by the way, genuine repentance lasts. I never went back to the old ways again. I wanted to at times. But I had the Holy Spirit who said, you can't go that route anymore. Is there anyone at all? Just stand to your feet. and We're going to be doing a baptism today. This could be the beginning of you being baptized as a disciple in Christ. Just stand right up and say, yes, I want to give my life to Christ. If there's anyone at all. If everyone here is saved, praise the Lord. One last time before we stand together. Fruit of forgiveness. Genuine repentance surrendered life. Why don't we stand together?